Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along. We've got both John Paul and Sadie taking your calls today at 1850-333-103. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can text her WhatsApp 86 And I can already see uh, some of your calls coming into the programme. Thank you for that. But let me just firstly just talk a little bit more about the weather forecast for this week because it is looking like some snow is possible this week. There is a weather advisory in place. It kicks in from four o'clock this afternoon and remains in place until midnight on Friday. And that weather advisory is for a sharp frost. It's for ice and wintry showers. Joanna Donnelly from Met Air is saying we are likely to see some snow later in the week. Now, we're not talking about the beast from the east or huge amounts of uh, snow. Temperatures are due to dip as low as minus three degrees tomorrow night. Uh, There's actually a little bit of snow then forecast for later on this week. There's a hint of some wintry participation coming our way and from about halfway through today we're going to start to see the change. Met air in a warning of wintry cold conditions for the rest of the week. Sleet is expected to fall on higher ground later in the week with temperatures dipping to around minus two degrees Uh, And it's when the temperatures dip later on in the week, and particularly on higher ground, they're saying we may see some snow today. Cold and breezy, wintry mix then is forecast for today. Tomorrow is going to be another bitterly cold uh, day. Widespread showers, longer spells of rain also will affect some areas. And then Friday is going to be another cold day and more of those wintry uh, showers. So wrap up warm, I think, is the message that is coming through from Met Aaron for this week. Now, let me, before we take a look at what's uh, going on today on the programme, let me just wrap up on a couple, on something that we mentioned yesterday. Remember Julie contacted us yesterday on the programme in a kind of a bit of a pickle and was upset on, for her daughter's sake, I think more than anything, even though I think she was a little bit heartbroken herself. Her daughter is living and working in Scotland, has only four days off over the Christmas period, would no, in normal 
times would be able to jump on a plane, come home, spend the four days and then be back over and back into work. But obviously this year, if her daughter decided to come from Scotland to Cork to have Christmas here, she'd have to self-isolate for 14 days and all of that. And so she doesn't have the 14 days. She only has the four days. So she's going to stay in Scotland. She's a real home bird and she is has had a tough year because she hasn't been home since last year. There was lots of plans during the year to come home and lots of plans for Julie and other family members to go over and see her. But obviously none of them came to pass because of the pandemic. So Julie got was wondering, could she, and she checked out flight times, could she get on an early morning flight, go to Scotland, just stay in the airport, not leave the, the airport, get her daughter to come out to the airport, spend a couple of hours at the airport, give her her Christmas gifts and all of that and then Julie would jump back on the plane and come home again and I was saying there'd be a cost involved, she said willing to pay for a return flight on the day, willing to pay to have a test done if that would help help things but she was wondering where would she stand with having to self-isolate or restrict her movements when Julie would come back even though she'd only be out of the country for a day she's not planning on overnighting in Scotland so we were getting on to I thought it was the Department of Foreign Affairs we'd have to deal with because we know that Ireland operates under this traffic light system for travel and when we looked into Scotland Scotland is in a grey area as is Northern Ireland and a couple of little spots in Europe and everybody else then is either deemed a red country or an orange country and we've nobody from a green country because there's no, there's no green countries because if there are any green countries it means there's little or no COVID in those countries and it means people can travel freely to and from those those countries and you're okay you don't have to have any kind of restrictions so we got on to the Department of Foreign Affairs who say oh sorry not our department you need to go on to the Department of Health so we got on to the Department of Health and said Julie's suggestion just to see what would happen with Julie leaving the country for the day and coming back and we Got, they got back to us and they say passengers entering Ireland from red, orange or grey regions of the EU and we know that Scotland is a grey region of the EU are requested to restrict their movements for 14 days. It applies to all travellers entering, entering the state including Irish citizens uh, coming home and people with no symptoms at all. So uh, if Julie decides uh, to do it she can still go ahead and do it but she's going to have to restrict it doesn't mean self-isolate but it does mean restrict her movements for the 14 days and obviously she's hoping to do it over Christmas so it would mean restricting her movements right over Christmas whether she decides to do it or not I don't know. We'll keep in contact with Julie because I'll be interested to see what uh, what what she decides to do. Now on the programme in, in a little while we're going to be talking with the local priest about Mass and we know that yesterday was the first day people were allowed to go back into churches and were allowed to well, go back into churches for Mass. People have been allowed into churches for private prayer. But yesterday was the first day and churches opened their doors and Masses were said. And there were small numbers seemingly at all of the Masses all over the country. But of course, we're coming into the busiest time for our churches when, as one priest put it, at Christmas they'd be hanging out of the rafters. And of course, we're not going to have a situation like that on Christmas Day for any of the Masses. We can't have people hanging out of the rafters. We can't have every pew full and people standing at the back of the church and up the side aisles. That can't happen. We're going to be limited in the number of people that can go into a church. And that's putting many priests in a really, really difficult position. I was reading in the papers today that one Dublin priest has actually appealed to the Catholic bishops of Ireland, calling on them 
to advise that all Masses in Ireland at Christmas take place online. He is a priest by the name of Father Adrian Egan. He's based at Our Lady of the Assumption Parish in Ballyfermot and he said the best and the safest solution he feels for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day Masses would be to have them online with churches then open afterwards for people and families to uh, visit and he just feels it's going to be so difficult and so tricky to decide who are you going to allow into the church and then once you've got the allocation you have to close the door. I mean I would not like to be priests facing this situation at the moment and Angela has already been on to us and she says in her parish there's war going on about the Christmas Eve Mass. Uh, She said people have been allocated seats and the way it's turned out couples from the same household have been separated. They're not even sitting in the same row let, let alone beside each other. Different parts of the church and she says also in her parish it's online. You have to book the Mass you want to go to and do your booking online and then obviously when all of the tickets have been allocated they'll close off the online booking and there will be no more uh, seats available and Angela says booking online that is of no use to many elderly people who know little or nothing about going online to book a seat at Mass and she said even now if they find out that that's what their local parish is doing many of the seats Angela said they're already sold out but I think I don't think anybody's selling the seats but they're already booked out I think is, is what she means so I don't know how many parishes are actually doing that. But I would be interested to get listeners' thoughts. And as I say, we are going to be speaking with a local priest, um, Father Tim Hazelwood. And he's, a, he's actually a member of the Association of Catholic Priests. So I'm assuming he's heard from other priests as well, locally from around the country, as to how they are coping, how they're managing, how they're planning to do it. I mean, they're going to have to get stewards to come into the church to tell people where they're meant to be sitting. Are people going to be nervous about doing that uh, as well? It really is a tricky, tricky situation for all of our uh, parishes. But there is some good news today on the vaccine front. The UK, they have become the first country in the world. This is the news that's just broke this morning. First country in the world to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for use. And they say it's going to be rolled out early next uh, week. They are saying it's going to take at least until spring to fully vaccinate the vulnerable population who wish to receive the jab. But they're already, they have vaccine centres set up at various hospitals and they're, they're moving. They're going to now, over the next few days, work out who's going to be getting it first. I think they already have those lists drawn up of the vulnerable people but they are the first in the world they are first out to start administering the vaccine the government here has agreed to indemnify five drunk drug companies who will be providing the COVID-19 vaccines and that obviously is against any liabilities that would arise from complications with the rollout over the coming months. The move is considered by the way standard practice but it's also a precondition of accessing doses of each of the company's vaccines and it also signals the government's confidence in the jabs being approved for quality, safety and uh, efficacy by the European Medicines Agency in the coming weeks. Uh, We still have a few weeks to wait for the EMA to give the final approval and the preparations for the vaccine rollout. That is intensifying here in this country. The government last night unable to say what the potential cost to the taxpayers by the way of the uh, indemnification. They have no way of saying how much that is going to uh, be. The cap 
Cabinet yesterday signed off on the purchase of 875,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine and it is the fifth advanced purchase agreement that our government has concluded with pharma companies. We've already done deals with AstraZeneca, uh, Janssen, the BioNTech, the Pfizer one that the UK are going with and we've also done a deal to buy vaccines from CureVac. CureVac were the latest ones uh, to come out with a vaccine this week. The Taoiseach yesterday in the Dáil said that the Defence Forces could be involved in what is going to be a major logistics challenge of rolling the vaccine out across the country next year and a national COVID-19 vaccine strategy and implementation plan is going to be ready for consideration by government in nine days at time. The 11th of December is when the plan is going to be ready. So there's lots of moves in this country but we do still have to wait on the European Medicines Agency to give their final seal of approval. That approval has gone ahead in the UK. Obviously, they're now out of the EU, so they've gone ahead and they've given their approval ahead of the EU. So certainly good news on the vaccine front and we we welcome any bit of good news that we can get our hands on when it comes to COVID-19. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are both taking your calls today. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. I've got an email in asking me to play a birthday request and I'm going to do it now for fear that I forget about it. And, and because we've just played that lovely song. Happy birthday to Margaret Sheehy. Margaret is in Urnville, Georgia Street in uh, Mitchellstown. And I'm told it's your birthday today and your family want to wish you a very, very Happy birthday. So hope you're having a lovely day. Margaret Sheehy, Urnville, Georgia Street in Mitchellstown. Happy birthday to you. Now, every... Uh, Mary says, Hi Patricia, that version of Feliz Navidad by Michael Bublé is just gorgeous. I love it. Thank you, Mary. I thought I was on my own with that because I had a big push with Simon on the breakfast show who's responsible for putting the music onto the radio station. I had a big sell to him, uh, begging him to please put it on. So I think, I don't know whether it's only getting a one-off play. He did it as a favour to me this morning or not. I don't know. So I'm glad I'm not the only one that loves it. The other version is, is really nice as well, but I just think the Michael Bublé one is, is really, really uh, quite special. Thanks, Mary. OK, we were talking about masses and we are going to be talking about it in a couple of minutes. Liz reckons if every day for the week leading up to Christmas Day priests said masses and extra masses they'd be able to cope with everyone so the idea would be a week out Christmas Day is a Friday so maybe start the previous Saturday that priests in all of the parishes do extra masses for the Friday Saturday Sunday, Monday Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of Christmas Eve they do extra masses on those days and let people go so you your Christmas Day mass you could go the Saturday, the Sunday the Monday, the Tuesday the Wednesday, the Thursday and actually I think I saw some parish somewhere up the country making the suggestion that they were going to do that. They were going to say any day that week that you get to Mass that will be your Christmas Day Mass. Don't know how that's going to sit with everyone because people have this tradition of going to Mass on Christmas Day. I mean that's what that woman yesterday who contacted us, one of our listeners was saying she goes to Mass every Christmas Day. It is her tradition. She mightn't go to Mass during the year but she wants to keep up the tradition of going to Mass and she wants to be able to do it on Christmas Day. So I don't know how it would sit with everybody if it was said that you can go three days before Christmas and that'll be your Christmas Day uh, Mass. But Liz reckons that. And then I wonder how fair is that on um, the priests of 
all of our parishes. We don't have a lot of priests to expect them to be doing two, three and four masses every day in the lead up to Christmas. And remember, when they do a mass, they have to have an hour in between masses and the church has to be deep cleaned as well. So they're going to need a lot of volunteers if they were doing a lot of masses to make sure that the church then is ready for the next mass and to make sure that it's been, you know, the doors have been thrown open and it's ventilated and it's well cleaned out for fear that somebody was in previous who might have been shedding COVID without even realising it. As I say, we're going to be talking about it in a couple of minutes. Now, yesterday, we also were talking about the GAA and in particular, we were talking about the All-Ireland hurling and football finals. And the plea has gone out, particularly from the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, asking people asking people in the counties, and it doesn't affect us here in, in Cork, for the football and the hurling finals, uh, for sure. But they're saying to the counties to please not go out and sell celebration. They're trying to get the GAA themselves to get on board and they're putting out social media messages telling anybody in any of those counties if you win, you know, celebrate yourself at home but don't be coming out onto the streets and don't be organising any events and the cops aren't even going to be returning to the counties who win them for fear that that might encourage kind of a little bit of a homecoming and all of that. Well that prompted a message in from a listener saying listening to you talking about the All-Irelands and who can go and how it'll be celebrated etc. But what about the ladies football semi-final next Sunday. It was supposed to be on in Limerick but it's now been changed to Parnell Place in Dublin. I'm wondering why is that? And there's no need for the change as it's Galway and Cork are the two teams taking part and they're both from the same side of the country so it doesn't make sense to drag all the peop- all the players, it won't be all the people because there'll be no supporters, but all the players in the backroom team from Galway and from Cork and bring them to Dublin when they were supposed to be in uh, Limerick. What's going on there? So we looked into it and the reason for it is that after Limerick qualified for the All-Ireland Hurling final, the ladies were informed that they the grounds would be needed for training on Sunday morning, December the 6th. So the venue then was taken from the ladies for the football semi-final because the men need to use it for training. Now, I would love to know, is that an annoyance to the ladies themselves as well? But that's the reason that has been put forward for it. The lads need to go training. So when the lads need to go training, the girls are told, sorry, you can't use the grounds. You're going to have to go to Dublin instead. It's all fair, isn't it? All so fair amongst the fair sexes. 1850 333 103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now, while delighted that they are able to reopen the doors of their churches since yesterday for Mass and other religious ceremonies, a number of priests say they now face a logistical challenge at what is the busiest time of the year for all parishes. Father Tim Hazelwood of Killa, a member of the Association of Catholic. Catholic priests uh, joins me. Good morning, Chief. Good morning. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Are Thank you, you. Are you delighted to be open once again for Mass, by the way? Oh, I am, because it's very different to looking at a phone, you know, <laughs> having human beings in front of you. You know, I'm not into the virtual world. I like, you know, just greeting and meeting people and at a safe distance, you know, but it was nice just to, to look out and see well, small numbers now, you know, for a week morning Mass. But um, I'm not a great fan of it. Like, it, it did the job when we, we had to, but I'm not a great fan of it. And there's, everyone has to wear masks now, isn't yes. that the, the big change this time? Yeah, 
No, yeah. well, that's the way we had it before. Oh, did you? Okay. We went to level five. Yeah. So we're used to it. We have about sanitising the seats and we have somebody at the door stewarding and stuff, but, and cleaning after mass, cleaning the seats. So that's manageable because the crowd is, is tidy. The weekend now, we'll see if we have back to weekend masses and, you know, the small number. So we'll see how that goes. The limit is still 50. Could that number, should that number be higher in larger churches, do you think? Well, I... The problem is that when you allow people to make exceptions because of one as opposed to the other, it becomes grey. And then, you know, like there is an exception already. I think if you can have a separate entrance and exit in some of the larger churches, because I know in Middleton now they they have a hundred, you know, because they're separate sections. Okay. So that can happen already, but it's still limited. It's still limited. Yeah, so. yeah. Now, what are the what are your plans for for mass on, on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve? Well, I'm going to be a little bit different now. Go on. <laughs> well, the first thing I is, is, is what's the thinking behind it? Like, uh, I suppose, and we have been talking about it and thinking about it a lot here. When the first lockdown came, or when we came out of the first lockdown, there were eleven cases that day. We've come out of it now with three hundred and twenty on that day. And we, when we came out of it the first time, it was with the summer coming. Now it's the winter. And I, I, must, I, I was watching TV last night, watching people going to the sales. There were like calves being left out into a field for the first time. Do you know, the fresh grass. And like, so I think our number of contacts is going to increase a lot. It's the season for partying. It's the season for meeting and visiting families. And like we've been told that if you increase your meetings by one, then the numbers will increase. So I think there is no doubt that the numbers are going to increase. So that's the background what we're facing into. I think with people coming home and mixing a lot more, then it's a lot more fraught than it was in the summer. And that's a fact, I think. So we're faced with Christmas Day. Here in Killa, uh, for the last few years, I do three masses on Christmas Eve, four o'clock, six o'clock and eight o'clock. Four and six o'clock, there is standing room only. Uh, and the 8 o'clock would be pretty full, and the 2 on Sunday morning are full. For me to cater for that crowd, I would have to do 20 Masses, minimum. Not and I'm po- here not on my po- own. Not possible. Not possible. I'm and as well, own. as well, am I right in saying, if, even if you did have enough priests and you decided to run 20 Masses, you have to have a, you have to deep clean the church each yeah. time, and you have to have an hour in between each Mass. That's right. So you just, there's not enough hours in the day to even fit in the 20 then. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So that's like, a non-runner. That's a non-runner. So, like, um, and I suppose, why are we doing it? The, the idea I'm putting forward is to protect the vulnerable, the sick, and to keep COVID away from the community. We've had no funeral in the parish of COVID uh, directly linked to COVID. We, we've had people who've had uh, the virus, but nobody has died from it. So that's the reason behind it. So what I'm thinking of doing, we have our weekend and morning masses coming up to it, but to... Not to have any public masses Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. We'll have a children's mass online and have um, a mass on Christmas Day. But during Christmas Eve, maybe from 11 until 1, the church will be open and we'll invite people who are older or vulnerable to come and queue like you would at Tesco or Duns. You come into the church, uh, there's stewards at the back, and you come up and you visit the crib and you receive Holy Communion. And you leave by the side door. You meet nobody. And uh, people 
will queue, we're hoping, and receive and leave. So there'll be no contact. And then for all of Christmas Eve from 2 until maybe 6 or 7 o'clock in both churches, we're thinking of having the same for families and for, you know, individual people who would come have the experience of visiting the crib and receive Holy Communion for Christmas. And maybe Christmas morning, we'll see what the uptake is, that after Mass, for an hour or two, that people could come. And just visit the church. Yeah. yeah. But your Masses are going to be online. Well, we have a, a final meeting, or a get-together, a Zoom meeting, and we, where we will decide. But that, you see, we've got no direction. Nothing. Because that was going to be my next question. Nothing. What are the government and Neffet? Are even the diocese, is the bishop giving you direction? Well, there's a meeting next Monday, which I think is a little bit late, but it's next Monday they're talking about it. Uh, the Bishop's Conference are meeting yesterday and today. I was listening to Archbishop Dermot Martin last week, and what he said was, he said, we have to manage our numbers in a different way. And I think this is a different way that people would have. I don't like this idea of tickets, because some people will be excluded because of the, of the tickets. Who would expect it? That we all have people who leave to the last minute, and they'd be, they, they could be the ones who are the most faithful ones. They won't be allowed in. They can't get well, in. Well, I'll give you an example of that. We've been contacted by a listener. I just, and I, I don't know, and I don't want to say the parish anyway, but Angela contacted us to say that they're doing Christmas Eve and Christmas Day Masses in her parish, and you have to go online to book a ticket. Yeah. And she said the online bit is crazy because she said elderly, there's a lot number of elderly people don't have access to online. Mm. And she said by the time the word got out to them for somebody else to do the booking, all the seats are gone. See, that's and it's causing that's, huge upset. And that's why we kind of said, like, and another thing was that, you know, let people in without tickets. And then when it's full, shut the door. Imagine turning somebody away at Christmas. And whereas this other way, nobody's turned away. It's not the way people might have liked it, but at least nobody's turned away. And they have that experience. But again, I suppose it's different for different parishes too, Patricia, because some parishes have a number of priests. I know one particular parish in North Cork. I, I won't mention it. It's out uh, between uh, Bodifant and Chambellamore. <laughs> There's four priests there, you know, within the parish. Okay. And they can put on lots of masses. But yeah. they're lucky. But even putting on lots of masses, they're still not going to cater for everybody who wants to get into the church. Well, let's let's be honest. Between four of them, they could say three or four masses. I could, I suppose, yeah. You know, Somebody again, else is saying that their parish are operating masses starting on the Monday. So Monday, they're doing masses Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday uh, and then obviously Christmas Day and all of them qualify as a Christmas Day mass. But how many, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll have morning masses but I can guarantee you there won't be people come. You know, like Christmas is Christmas. It's not the Tuesday of Christmas week. You know, um, as, just from asking people around, the ones that I asked, they wouldn't be interested in that. I know maybe if they put an effort in or something, but I just feel... And even if you do that, how can you guarantee then by the end of the week when you come to your Christmas Eve Mass that everyone can be catered for? You still could end up turning people away. And that's the one thing you don't want no. to do. Is to well, it's what a message from the church... No, yeah. sorry, you can't come in. That happened 2,000 years ago. It wasn't so nice. And it's, it is going, even with the booking system, you're going to have people who didn't get a ticket turn up. It's going to be Absolutely. a really fraught, yeah. in, in some parishes, it's, it really is going to be a, a fraught situation. Paddy, one of our listeners, was saying, 
could they not organise some kind of a drive in mass? His suggestion now is the race course in Mallow and that people could drive in, everybody stays in their car in one gate, out the other gate and have a great big, like an open air mass. Yeah, I suppose it's the most flooded field in Ireland. <laughs> Allowing that it was a dry, a dry Christmas. But like this is Ireland we're talking about. I know, about. I know. You know, it is. And uh, it's a... It's, like you're talking about extraordinary numbers. People come at Christmas who never come for the rest of the year. So it's very hard to cater or, or to know exactly how many will come. So all, all, all we can judge is from last year and the year before and the year before. And we just can't cater with having masses for that number. OK. To the people who only go once a year, do you think they should, if on the parishes that are deciding to book where you book your seat, you get a ticket and then you go. Should, the pe- should people who only go once a year leave those seats for the people that go every single Sunday? But what a message are we giving to them then? You're not welcome. You know, it has a sense of that. You know, I think the fact that they have that contact, to, like to cut it off completely. Even if it's only once a year, they only go on... I on know, but still they, they go. It means the birth of Jesus means something, you know. I wouldn't... I, like, excluding people, I, put, I think it's an awful message. Like, we have enough of that in the church, you know, that we have this sense of that certain group own it. Do you know, and I, I think that would be... Right. I wouldn't be in favour of it anyway. You, you are a great Christian, Father Tim. You, you really oh. are, because so many other people feel very differently about it and feel it should be left to the ones that are there no. uh, every week. OK, and talking about the ones that go every week and they're the ones that put the, little, the money, their little, their few pence into the, the envelope every week. As parishes, how are you coping without the collection every week? Well, it's... it's uh, so I was lucky here because we, we, we sold uh, a house before, just before lockdown, but a lot of, a lot of places are struggling. Uh, people who are, are parishes that have a debt, they are the ones now because you're trying to maintain and pay for like your insurance. All this stuff still has to be paid for. And then you have to, to, um, to meet your repayments. So, like I suppose, we're, we're, we're trying to ride this through and hopefully get over it. But there is, a, there is a letter coming out now from the bishop, you know, just asking people to remember. And it's very difficult to do it now because so many people are on COVID payment and they're under pressure. Now, I know there are others. I have friends now here in the parish just said to me, like, we can't spend it. We've nothing to spend it on. You know, we were never as well off. But it's hard to be asking at the time of, of, of a pandemic looking for money. But there is, there is a big issue. Yeah, yeah. As there is with, with publicans. And, and Anne is saying for those that do manage to get into a church for Mass on, on Christmas Day, could you ask Father Tim, what about the offering? Can a, peop, can a person pay in cash? Will there still be collections? Oh, I masses? can guarantee you whatever they'll church t- you're going to, there'll be a box somewhere. There will. There, there will. <laughs> uh, we can, someone else says, we can all pray at home. At the end of the day, it's just for one year, we all need to stay safe. And I think that's very much where you're coming from. On yeah, this. I think that if, I could, if, if any of us could say that our parish you know, survive without any victim of COVID. No, it will happen. And that, but like that we didn't have anything to do with it. I think that's safety, I think, should, should be a priority. Like, I think people's spiritual needs have been catered for. And as, as that lady says, we can pray at home, but we've been, every parish now has been doing online masses. You know, you can get mass every hour on the hour. Um, 
I know it's the idea of us coming together as a parish. And like what we are hoping to do, we have a nice Christmas tree. We'll have the crib. And the church will be open during Christmas so that families and children, they can come to visit the crib. But we're going to insist that people stay the required distance apart and come you know, do it safely. Yeah, it's to keep everyone safe. But yes. then somebody says, I don't have the internet, how will I get my mass? It's on television. It is, it is. Yeah, it's but on. I know, but I think people like the idea of looking in, in on their local... That's right, the know. local mass. Yeah, but that's the reality that not everybody has the internet. Well, we are not actually, once we've started our masses, we're not doing them online anymore. What are you doing? We're just um, having mass in the church. I, I have... You know, what we did with Facebook with a phone up at the side of the altar. Yeah. And we faced people up around the altar. So you're looking down at the congregation, it looks, it would look, uh, we don't have a, cam, a camera. All right, okay. You're just doing it on your phone. On the phone. Yeah, that yeah. And then uh, Bernie says, uh, Car- Trish Carrigan of our parish are doing two daily masses, December 24th, 25th, 26th and 27th, with a limit of 50 at each mass. Uh, people need to register beforehand to book the seat and then you get a ticket. Well, I guarantee you, half of Carrigan of our won't get a Christmas mass. No, well, there's one, two, three, that's four days over Christmas and they'll get 100 in each day. That's only 400. That's 400. And that's, yeah. like, our, our, one of, our two primary schools have over that number. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. not to mind. So it's, okay. it's very difficult. And how will you spend Christmas Day? What's Father Tim doing for well, Christmas? Well, I'll go home, I'll go okay. home. My mother, she's listening into her favourite... Uh, presenter Patricia <laughs> she's listening in. I'm from Castle Roach so you are of course I, I go home on, on Christmas day ok and you'll spend the day there yeah. ok yeah. well listen enjoy if we don't okay. get to speak before Christmas uh, right. Tim happy Christmas to you thanks very much Patricia. God bless uh, take yourself. care bye bye and is uh, Father Tim Hazelwood from Killa a member of the Association of Catholic Priests and as it, he's just speaking about what they're going to do in his parish in Killa and it will vary from parish to parish so you're going to need to check in to see what's happening in, with your own church because already we're hearing from some people that the booking has already started and if if you're only hearing about it now you may be too late because it looks like a lot of those slots are, are completely gone. Uh, Patricia regarding Christmas Day masses those who only attend mass once a year at Christmas and can't be bothered to go at any other time of the year really should stay away at Christmas to facilitate those of us who attend on a regular basis and I think a lot of people will agree with you on that but when I put that to Father Tim the Christian man that he is he doesn't want to turn anyone away and if he feels if somebody they feel that that's all that they need is go to Mass once a year on Christmas Day uh, he said they have a right to be there as well but it does mean this year not everyone absolutely not everyone is going to get to Mass on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day this year for sure uh, so is Father Tim right to do what he's saying rather than refuse people and turn people away and have people very disappointed because they're going to know a Mass is going on in their church and they're not going to get in because they weren't one of the lucky 50 it's almost like a lottery now isn't it you win a ticket to go to Mass but there, if you didn't get in and get one of the golden tickets you're not going to be able to go go to Mass so as Father Tim Wright level the playing pitch for everyone as that priest in Dublin is suggesting pretty much the same thing to keep everybody safe let no churches have Mass Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and leave it all go online or you can watch Mass on the TV uh, instead and, and take it away completely from 
the, the logistical nightmare that it is for the priests of the various parish take it away from them so they're not in this situation of being faced down by parishioners who say you know I'm always at Mass why can't I get in and imagine the arguments that are going to be with stewards at the door if somebody turns up and they don't have a ticket and are insisting that they be left into their church you can see all kinds of situations happening so is Father Tim right is it the best way to go just have it online 1850 103 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. Kinsale Community School has implemented a temperature checking camera which has proven a huge success by the school since it was installed and to find out more I'm joined by the Deputy Principal of Kinsale Community School and that's Kathleen O'Brien Good morning to you Kathleen Hi Patricia Good morning Pleasure to, to be talking to well, you Well you're very welcome Now so this camera checks your, the, the temperature of everybody entering the school Why did you decide to install it? We decided to install it because we I suppose we thought before the, the pupils returned to school that we wanted to put every single measure in place that we could to actually keep COVID out of our school in the first place. So we felt that having this um, infrared thermal scanner as the pupils come into the school would allow us to monitor their, temp- their temperatures as they come in. So if, if a pupil or a staff member presented with very high temperature, we could kind of intervene immediately before they kind of went into class and carried on with the rest of their day. Um, and also, I suppose, it, it really gives um, families, parents, teachers a sense of safety coming into the school that we're doing everything we can. It's a very visual message as well for all of the the kind of community of the school that we're, we're doing our best to keep them safe along with all the other measures we're putting in place too. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think uh, it's got to be giving huge peace of mind to everyone because as you say, it checks not just the pupils, it's the staff. Everybody entering the school gets yeah. checked. A- absolutely everyone entering the school, yeah. Now, to be honest, we've been trying to keep as many people out of the school as, as possible okay. when, when they don't need to be there. So um, parent-teacher meetings and so on are all held over the phone now. Um, we've kind of brought in online payments for parents, for fees. Um, so so really the only people that come into the school on a day-to-day basis are the people that really need to be there. So primarily the teaching staff and the students. So we're doing as much as we can to keep people safe in that regard um, as well. Um, we have a one-way system implemented in the school now as well. So when pupils come into the school, there's quite a long walkway down um, one hall and up the other side of the hall. And over the course of that, they actually get monitored. Um, there's no queues or anything like that because it's very high-tech. It's very instantaneous. Their temperatures are taken and we have deputy principals um, who are on the hall as well who are monitoring the temperatures temperatures of the students as they pass. Um, and if there are any concerns at that point, then we just kind of pull the pupils aside and have a very private word with them and double check that their temperature is okay. Um, and if it's not, we contact the parents. Um, and if it is, they go on about their day as, as normal. I'm assuming there's an isolation room if somebody has a temperature where they can go to until a parent is contacted. Exactly, yeah. Now, we've been very lucky in the school in that we haven't, we've only had one case of COVID that has coincided with um, our midterm break. Um, and any other high temperatures we've had haven't actually been related to COVID so we've been really well pleased with that well yeah, done, we've been well delighted. do you know if any other school have installed such a camera I don't know off, off yeah. the top of my head now I don't know um, we've been so busy in our, in our own school at the moment um, that all we know really is that it's working very very well for us like I know that we've, we've, we've liaised with other schools that, that are doing um, lots of other interesting things too and um, as school communities I suppose we, we, we share good practice within our forums um, but I mean there are other things we've implemented as well that I know other schools are doing as well and um, we've brought in kind of the staggering of lunch breaks um, so that pupils have less contact with each other and um, we have sanitising stations in 
Girls School. Um, as I said, we have a contactless payment system now in our canteen as well. Um, so really, like it's all about working together as a community to try and do our best to mind each other and keep it out and to keep our families safe. Has school life changed much since you went back in September? You know, at the beginning, we thought it was a huge change. We thought, oh my goodness, this is absolutely massive. How are we going to deal with this? How are the students going to deal with this? But what we've seen over the course of the term is huge resilience um, within the school community. The teenagers in our school are absolutely amazing the way they've adapted to, to, to everything. They've been so compliant with all of the guidelines around sanitising um, desks, keeping their masks on. Um, it's very tiring for them. It's not the optimal way we want to be doing things. It's not normal. Um, but everyone has has kind of um, adapted really, really well in our school, thank God. And um, really, like, our school motto is all together in learning. But I do feel that we've all worked really together, well together in COVID to, to try and, um, you know, get through this together. But, well, um, keeping COVID out, you're proving you're doing everything right and, and the yeah. pupils are doing everything right. The wearing of masks, um, yes. Kathleen, how difficult has that been for both staff and pupils? I think it's been very, very challenging. Um, we know it's necessary, so we're doing it, and that's the bottom line, really. Um, we found it very important to, to to ensure that people have breaks, that they get a little bit of time in their day to go outside, to get a little bit of fresh air. Um, that's very important for their own well-being. Uh, our first-year students, in particular, are in base groups of 24. So what we've tried to do for them is, at the start of the year, we, we brought them out to the pitch, um, socially distant, uh, socially distanced them so they were allowed to actually take their masks off and have some, some bonding activities so they could actually see each other's faces you know and get to know each other physically yeah. um, and we thought we think that you know that went really really well um, and we've done everything we can to kind of really humanise I suppose the school um, one of our staff members who has a, a, an assistant principal post and that's involved in the area of wellbeing um, undertook a little project where he took pictures of all of the staff members with their masks and then he took a picture of all of the staff members without their masks smiling and that is actually going to be put up on the wall of both the staff room and the um, school hall uh, for the pupils to see so if there's any pupils who are in the school who don't know what teachers faces look like it'll really <laughs> yeah, be nice things for them you know yeah you'd forget about the first years who don't yeah. know don't know what uh, Mrs yeah. O'Brien looks like um, no. without, a, without a mask on no. and I mean we all know ourselves when you're inside in a supermarket or you know any retail setting if you're in there for a while you know you can't wait to get out and get back yes. to the car and take the mask off Whereas we've got you've got pupils sitting from all day in class yeah. with a mask on, and they are absolutely amazing, and they are credit to their families and their communities. Um, you know the endeavours and the lengths that they are going to, to really to to keep their families safe. It, it's so impressive, and there's so little complaining from them. And really, I think they're grateful to have the normality that they can get up in the morning and be in their routine and come to school and learn. You know, so I think they're inspirational, really. To be honest, the teenagers of our school, anyway, in particular. Everyone looking forward to the Christmas break. Though. We are well yeah. ready for a rest. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. <laughs> what about ventilation? Are you keeping windows and doors open? We or? certainly are, yeah. Look, all the research that we've looked into um, would really emphasise that ventilation is very, very important in schools. So if you come into our school, you know, you will find that every window and door in the school is open and we're encouraging students to wear extra layers, to wear their thermals and to wear school jackets um, and extra jackets where necessary. So it's getting a little bit cold. Yeah. Well, we, I, I was just talking about the weather at the top of the programme. It went for a really cold spell the next few days. Um, really cold, Kathleen, yeah. yeah. Really cold. But we're managing very well. Yeah, but just extra layers of clothes. Extra layers and, of clothes. And, and teenagers in thermals. We 
exactly, yeah. I mean, some of them are still in bare legs now, so look, I mean, they're not feeling it as much as we elderly teachers are yet, but, um, but no, they're doing very well. Okay, but well we done. we are very aware of the cold and we're encouraging them to kind of, you know, on their breaks to move around and have a walk and get the blood going and, um, and warm themselves up, but they're doing exceptionally well. And you were also the school that we spoke to during lockdown. You, the pupils came up with doing the the, the visors, wasn't yeah, it, the, with yeah, the 3D printers. Yeah, that yeah. was hugely successful for it the school. It was excellent. It was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. It was lovely to be able to do something pro-social because part of, I think, what everyone felt during lockdown was this powerlessness and this feeling of, oh my God, I can't leave the house, I can't do anything. So the fact that we were able to actually contribute to society in a pro-social way and actually support the people on the front line, people involved in the medical profession by supplying them with visors when other people couldn't we really felt great about that you know yeah, I mean that's the spirit of Christmas really yeah, well, it, is, it is indeed listen so, yeah. in, enjoy the rest of your school year and enjoy Christmas Kathleen and thanks, the rest Patricia. of the gang at Kinsale Community School and lovely thanks, to talk to you thanks, lovely very to much. thanks a million bye bye that is Kathleen O'Brien who is the Deputy Principal at Kinsale Community School I think they are the first I don't think we were talking about this in the office we don't know of any other school that's uh, implementing uh, temperature checking they put temperature checking cameras as people come in to the uh, school somebody saying sure which that's useless because patients with COVID don't always have a temperature yeah we know that but a lot of uh, patients with COVID do have a temperature so it just may it just may pick up somebody who doesn't realise that they have COVID um, by checking their temperature and it's just the pupils and the teachers everybody walking uh, by why do people always have to knock an initiative that somebody does never ceases to amaze me okay let me go to some of your thoughts in reacting to Father Tim in the last hour when we're talking with Father Tim from Killa Parish as to how they're going to handle and what they're going to do from, for Mass around Christmas. I mean, it is looking like, uh, even though it's got to be signed off by the Parish Council, but it looks like they're going to do online Masses. They're not going to have people come into the church. Some of your thoughts on this. Clondrohid Parish, says a listener, will have three Christmas Masses, two on Christmas Eve and one on Christmas morning. All people must do is book the Mass that you would like to attend. Extra Masses will be put on if the demand is there when the bookings come in. They are ensuring health and safety at all times. A listener says, are the regular church goers, these are the regular church goers who are saying to the people who only go once a year, stay away and are the regular church goers get the slots instead. Somebody says, are the regular churchgoers forgetting about the lost sheep? God would welcome them first. You were lost, now you were found. Now the texter says, I agree with Father Tim and all he had to say. The best thing to do is ask, what would Jesus say? I think he'd say, exclude and judge no one and do the best you can. Whatever you, wherever you get to Mass or not, be sure of his love, says a uh, texter. You don't need the internet, said somebody else. There's Mass every day on the RTE News Channel for those that want to get a daily Mass. And says, Patricia, they're talking about only allowing 50 people in a church. Well, I think that's a bit of a joke. It most certainly wasn't being adhered to in our parish. It's a bit like saying to people, stay within the 5K. Some did, but not everybody did. Mary says, hi, Patricia, listening to Father Hazelwood in the last hour and the difficulties that are facing priests for the Christmas celebrations in my parish. We previously had a visiting priest who welcomed everyone at the beginning of Mass and his greeting was, we're open 365 days a year. Anytime you want to come and see us, you are welcome. We will be here. And that, of course, was obviously before we had a pandemic. With regard to churches being open for prayer during the lockdown, not ours. Ours was closed. So I prayed at home or I prayed outdoors as I am doing my walks, says Mary. Well, 
churches, individual churches are to- were told this was pre, this is when we were in level five, that they could open for private prayer for however many hours a day that, that the churches want, wanted to do it. But each parish needed to have volunteers available to make sure that the churches were regularly cleaned. And of course, not every parish has a lot of volunteers available or a lot you know a lot of people who step forward and say yeah we'll give we'll help out the church and we'll go in and help clean so for that reason I'm assuming maybe that's why some churches never opened for private prayer but certainly the majority of them did and they did because they had great uh, volunteers locally but I saw Father Roy Donovan he's with the parish priest at um, Cahar Conlish we've spoken with him before he's with the Association of of Catholic uh, priests he said he was finding it quite difficult to get volunteers to implement the COVID-19 restrictions at their church his church has capacity for between 400 and 500 people but he'll only be allowed to have 50 people in the church and he too was worried about the Christmas masses and he says in their particular parish it's going to be discussed at the parish pastoral council meeting on Thursday of this week and I I take it that a lot of parishes are having meetings this week to finalise and decide for once and for all what they're going to do but I imagine what Father Roy is saying they need to have stewards telling people where they're meant to be sitting and stewarding people in and making sure that everybody doesn't go up the same aisle for communion and you go up one aisle and down another aisle and in one door and out another door and if they don't have the volunteers then certainly the masses are not going to be able uh, to uh, go ahead. 1850 and Father Liam Kelleher good to have you listening to us today Father Liam hope you're keeping well. He says thanks Patricia for your interview with Father Tim. I agree 100% with what Father Tim said, having been a curate in that parish in Killa in the late 1980s and early 90s I still have great affection for the wonderful people there. I totally agree though with Father Tim's point that nobody should be turned away from a church like what happened to Mary and Joseph on that first Christmas night. Every parish could well follow his example and instead of being in a position that you're going to have to turn people away, just don't have a public mass, put the mass online instead. Let's hope they will prayers and blessings for Christmas and the same to you uh, Father Tim or or Father Liam hope you are uh, keeping well Okay, some of your calls coming in to John Paul and Sadie Tom Infomoy says could they not do mass on a church ground or out on the street in a town and have everybody either socially distanced standing or everybody in their car what about the online option and then nobody gets into trouble and nobody's in danger of picking up COVID-19 but then says Thomas suppose you can't please everyone Tom remembers as a child they used to love going to midnight mass but he said many churches had to give up midnight mass why? because people were falling out of the pubs and then falling into the church and people were getting up to all kinds of mess inside the church and for that reason many churches stopped doing midnight mass which is dreadful to think that that was the reason but I think Tom is right I heard of a number of churches for that very reason I know I remember being uh, talking with um, a friend of mine who was at a mass many many years ago in Clonmel and a a very well dressed woman came in and sat beside him inside in the church and she had the fur coat on and everything and she was you know really looking the part and all dressed up for midnight mass and about 10 minutes into mass he could see she seemed to be getting a little bit uncomfortable in her seat and next she just picked up her handbag and he he realised that she was the worst for wear with drink because he could smell the drink from her and next she picked up her handbag and just vomited into her handbag and closed it and continued on with that mass and same guy had a dodgy stomach and was forced to leave himself 
stuff. Anyway, that's just an aside uh, story. Marion Clannacilty says, if there isn't room in the church, could they not let people stand outside and then at Holy Communion, let the priests and ministers of the Eucharist come outside the church and offer communion to people. People would know the time the Mass was on and they wouldn't even have to stay outside for the whole of the Mass. They could turn up at the end and they get communion that way. Well, that's why I think Father Tim's suggestion, what he's saying, put the Mass online, but then they're going to have certain times that the church will be open and you'll queue up like you do for the supermarket and they'll leave so many people in, all socially distanced, and you can go in to receive communion. And he's talking about doing that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I think that, I actually think that uh, certainly will work. Uh, But again, it'll be up to individual churches. And Nancy says it would be a good idea to shut churches on Christmas Day because they simply won't be able to accommodate everyone who will want to go to Mass. So Father Tim is right. Let the churches open up on Christmas Eve so that people can go along for their own private prayer and then people can either have Mass on their TVs, there's always Mass on TV on Christmas Day or you can get Mass from your local parish if it is online. Uh, but it would be very unfair to expect the volunteers to go in and have to work on Christmas Day cleaning and sterilising the churches between Masses. So she'd be with Father Tim saying put it all online. And Annie in McCroom says they're very lucky that their church in McCroom is on a local TV channel and people can get to see Mass on their TVs. They don't need to see it online. 1850 333 103. C103 Jobs. A cafe assistant with a barista. Uh, experience is wanted for the Dunmanway area. It's daytime hours only. Farm Relief Services in Bandon are looking for general farm workers and relief milkers. It's for West and Mid Cork areas. A cleaner wanted for a school in Mallow five days per week, school term only. And Caulfield's Supervalue there in Bandon, they're looking for online pickers. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, public health specialists who are playing a key role in dealing with the pandemic are to hold three days of strike action in January in a dispute over pay and contracts. To discuss this further, I'm joined from the Irish Medical Organisation by Dr Ina Kelly, who's chair of the Public Health uh, Committee. Good morning to you, Ina. Uh, Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Is this threatened strike action more than just about pay? Of course, yes, it is. I mean, this has been a very long-standing action um, or uh, effort to try and trying to get equality for public health medicine in Ireland. Um, public health medicine is an essential branch of medicine, but it's fairly invisible, and so therefore it doesn't garner an awful lot of attention. Really, we work in the background, but normally protecting people from threats like infectious diseases, environmental threats. Um, we also work in health needs assessment, looking at the needs of the population. Um, you know, working with um, health services to try and make them more um, uh, fit for purpose in relation to like assessing what the need in the population is for them, how best to organise them and so on. We do an awful lot of different types of work really, I suppose what we do a lot of it is data analysis of the, but, but medical analysis of the data around healthcare and providing people with advice on it. But of course this year with the pandemic it's much more obvious what we do because 
because mm. we're involved in the investigation and control of COVID-19 and it's a very, you know, everybody can see it this year, but normally people don't see it. We've been fighting for this for about 20 years or so. It's been an ongoing battle. But well, and why, course, why has it been allowed to drag on so long? You've, you're, you're never treated the same as hospital consultants. Well, not for a long time. Years ago, public health medicine was actually the highest paid branch of medicine okay. because it was seen as so important. But I think somewhere along the way, it got, it, it got forgotten about or it's, it's not very, I suppose, attract, it's not very um, exciting to, us, to a lot of people um, because it doesn't involve you know, spending loads of money on, on you know, um, high tech and so on like that. An awful lot of what we do is looking at the basics properly and trying to work out how to prevent um, avoidable illnesses and so on. So it's not very exciting to a lot of people, though I do know when people do get involved in it, they actually love it and they find it very interesting. It's just not um, visi- very visible. And it's, it's part of public health is if you're very successful, you're fairly invisible because you're preventing things that don't happen then and therefore they didn't happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. and that's <laughs> why the public don't, don't yeah. get to see that. No, no. But, so percentage-wise, how much less would a public health specialist get than, say, a hospital consultant? Well, we, as, as far as I know, we get about 60% or something in that range. I mean, it depends. You know, hospital consultants get they've a lot of different types of contracts themselves. What we're looking for is the public-only contract, the one that um, own, doctors who only work for the public service do. And that's what we would be looking for because that's what we do too. We only work for the pub, in the public service. And there is a, there's a quite a, a differential there, but this is something that has increased over the years. It's getting bigger and bigger. And so in a way, we're more determined at this stage. We have to fight very hard now because of the fact that we can't recruit people into public health. That was going to be my un- next question. Yeah, yeah, how do yeah. you how do you attract the young doctors coming up and say, look, this is the field you need to go into? Well, I mean, if you're, you know, if you were a young doctor or if any of us are young doctors looking at this and looking at all, look, looking at it in a dispassionate way about my whole career, you know, rather than choosing things sometimes without thinking it out. But say any doctor is choosing and looking at what they might like to do for the long run, they're going to have to accept disrespect and poorer pay. Now, it's very good pay. We understand that completely. I mean, but doctors, we like we spend many, many years doing Like I would have 18 years of formal medical training. So it's not something that you can just get like that. You know, you have to put a huge amount of effort into it. But say any young doctor coming in who's recognizing that they're going to have to spend maybe another 10 years of postgraduate work or whatever, you know, they're not going to think about public health medicine if they know that that's going to be going down a sort of a, a dead end of, um, you know, of, of opportunity. Now, it might be very, it's very interesting work, but it is a dead end of opportunity to, you know, to, um, I suppose, uh, develop your career and to, I suppose, even get respect from others because anybody who tolerates working for a job that is inferior, you know, doesn't get treated with the same respect. Mm-hmm. And that's just a sad fact, really. And I think we all know that. And so in a way, in a, we're only looking for equality. We're not looking for anything more than that. I um, saw the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, say it was disappointing that a strike could happen during a pandemic. Is your timing in some ways wrong? And yet I, I assume yeah. you will say it's the perfect time to do it because well, of the work you're doing. We don't choose. No, we don't choose. We didn't choose this time at all. Um, we were actually... Um, in a process with the Department of Health since 2019. Since the very beginning of 2019, we were meeting them on a regular basis about the consultant contract. There are two things that need to be done, and this is based on the Crow Horwath report, which was only published in late 2018, and this is about trying to make public health medicine attractive. Now, we were meeting with them about the consultant contract, and there was a general agreement that the Type A contract is uh, fit for purpose for public health medicine. Um, And then we were obviously huge amounts of effort from all the departments 
importance of public health and all the doctors working in public health throughout the country contributed to how we would reform public health medicine at the same time. And those two things were supposed to be implemented on, in July 2020. So it, the pandemic is sort of something that has happened in the meantime. It's made us more visible, but it's also made us, it's also made us realise that if, if the Department of Health are not going to, if they're not going to, um, you know, implement as they promised to do and honour their commitments to us, um, in during a pandemic, when are they going to do it? You know, when the need for us is is visible to other people, but it is, it, it just happens in a way to be coincidental. We were actually meant to be. This is meant to have happened in July 2020, and we and we, you know, we're happy to be a little bit more patient. We've been patient for a very long time, as you know, but. Um, in reality, we've actually feel we've gone back a lot because we felt we were in a process that was making progress, and we feel it's gone back uh, this year quite significantly. It's almost like enough is enough. What format will the strike action take, Ina? Well, it's going to be a one-day strike on the fourteenth of January, and I feel it's, it, it should be an all-out strike. Now, of course, we always. Um, and sorry, and there are two other days on the following week. Then on the Thursday and Friday, but it will be um, it will be all out. But we will be in touch with the HSC about how we will deal with exception situations. You know, we have absolutely no wish to do any harm to anybody. Obviously, we spend our whole time doing the opposite to that. So we will be looking at how we will make sure to protect the public interest at the same time as doing our strike action. We have, um, we, like, we prioritise all of the time anyway, and we will be doing what we can. We'll be working, you know, we will be in touch with the HSC about what exceptional situations we might need to act on those days. We will obviously act responsibly and professionally, and um, we will obviously always try to do the right thing. But, you know, we find that our goodwill has been uh, abused and exploited for a very long time. So we have to put on, we have to fight properly now at this stage. And this is not just for ourselves, this is in the public interest, because public health medicine is there for everybody, and it's there to protect everybody and to improve their health, even if they don't know about it, you know. And it is, we are there to... I suppose, to look after the whole population as much as we are able to do. And we've been very held back for many years because we have too few people in public health medicine because it's unattractive. And there are a lot of things that we could be doing for the public that we're not doing at the moment. Well, it's about so, securing the future of public health as it, well, isn't it? It is. It is it's, yeah, it is. And I mean, I don't know, you've got a great department of public health down there in Cork, because I know it's because I worked there and I know they're <laughs> marvellous. And, you know, the, the, the amount of effort that's put in, and it's not just the doctors, it's all the other staff as well, but the, those, there's such leadership in one, you know, and, and for those people you probably don't know, normally even hear about them because they're working so hard all of the time just to protect yeah. and uh, look after the health okay. of everybody. And I, yeah. I, uh, have you uh, had any meaningful engagement with the Department of Health of late? Not for months now. Oh, we, we, that's disappointing. We did, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we were, up until uh, January 2020 was our, was our last meeting with the Department of Health where we were looking at the substantive issues. Since then, we've had a few discussions with them, very general discussions, and really just highlight, you know, there was nothing, there was no progress. And and there were more barriers coming up then about how difficult it would be to do this and that, um, and and now we've heard nothing for months. Now we're hearing things in the in the media, all right, but we haven't had any direct com- uh, contact. The public health committee has had no meeting with the Department of Health. Okay, well, hopefully this uh, this threatened strike action might just move them on and motivate them to get it sorted for once and for all. Listen, uh, Ina, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you so much. Good morning, thank you. Bye bye, Doctor Ina Kelly, who is chair of the IMO Public health committee 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her whatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 Call
Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. While most people are busy thinking about a turkey in the lead up to Christmas, an animal charity called Little Hill Animal Rescue are asking people to think about hens and would like the good people of Cork to adopt a hen this Christmas. Well-known actress Pauline McGlynn joins me with all of the details. Good morning to you, Pauline. Good morning. Indeed, it's all about hens uh, for us this Christmas. And what, uh, is there any more fabulous gift than you can give yourself than on Christmas morning you could go out to your own little flock of hens and collect your own eggs, cruelty-free, and have them for your breakfast, you know? And that's before we even get into the the companionship you get and and just basically the fun out of having the hens because they, they really are great crack. Just remind listeners what, what the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary does, where they get these hens from. Yeah, well now, um, they, they, Little Hill have become famous, I suppose, for rescuing egg-laying hens when they're at the end of their commercial life. And what that means is that uh, at around 18 months old, they take a little break. Um, they don't stop laying, but they don't lay, you know, every day, uh, once or twice, uh, which is what a commercial farmer would want. So, you know, it's just cheaper to send them to the slaughterhouse and replace them with new ends. Uh, that's the sad reality. So these um, these little ladies have been in cages, battery cages for all the their last lives. 18 months. All their lives. Ah. And basically they've never felt the ground under their feet. They've never seen the sky. Um, they've never been outdoors. So they've been just clutching onto the, um, you know, the metal of their cages for 18 months laying away. And um, instead of the fate of being sent, um, you know, into a truck and after the slaughterhouse, um, little Hiller coming for them. And what, what condition we, are they in when they're collected? Well, some of them. It varies now. It really does. Um, it, it, some of them will come out bald uh, because all of their energies will have gone into making eggs for the eighteen months rather than feathers. Um, but they will um, grow their feathers back quite quickly. Do they? Uh, and um, you know, some of them will have feathers. Uh, some won't. Um, you know, there are varying degrees of um, how they come out, and the very, very um, you know, compromised and ill ones will go to a high dependency unit <laughs> at the sanctuary in Kildare. Um, but the others will will go. We hope to their new lives um, all around the country, and that's where. Cork gets to step up and and um, and adopt some and basically um, what facilities does it what does a person need to adopt a hen? That's a, a great question and exactly what I was um, going to move on to, which is this: you don't need much. What you need mostly is um, just a little bit of space for them to be scratching around during the day, certainly, um, and fox-proof, um, you know, if you have a fence up or whatever, just make sure, because foxes can, they can dig down underneath and the whole lot. They're very clever. And, um, and... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax... And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Other than that, though, and this is the most important thing, was is if you've got a shed that's, you know, fox-proof, you have a coop already. Um, you know, you have to start with it all. So you don't need to start in an elaborate way. I mean, there are already hen keepers out there who I know will take more because it's like an addiction. You know, chicken people be like, I have a few. And then you see them surrounded by, you know, dozens of chickens <laughs> and hens. Because so, I was thinking, should you take more than one for company? Would you, uh, I would ID, yes, yeah. yeah. And for yourself as well anyway. You know, you you might want more than one egg. Yeah, that's for the true. Day. That's you know, true. there are many What so do many you feed you them do. on? Sorry? What do you feed them on? Oh, there's all sorts of meal. They love oh, porridge, oh. you know. Um, they also love melons. Um, oh, and they'd take your hand off for a grape. And believe me, these little ladies won't ever have seen uh, grapes before, but, oh, they'll get the hang of it quite quickly. And I, I think, you know, if you go onto the Little Hill page on Facebook, which is where you can book your hens then, you'll see people sharing photos of theirs uh, from previous rescues and just singing their praises. Do um, you bond with a hen? Do, I mean, oh, do they become yeah. good little pets? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, they're very curious. And some people put up posts of them, you know, all waiting at the back door of the kitchen to be let in um, at all hours of the day, but particularly breakfast time. Um, you know, because they want to move in with you. They, they know where the, good, where the good stuff is. And they're and coming, the, the Little Hill Animal Rescue, uh, you've got, you know, as, as Pauline said, you've got to go onto their Facebook page to book to, to, say, book hands, yeah. to say that and you want to have they're going to be in Bantry, Clonakilty, Mallow and Dunmanway on this coming Sunday yeah. and then the following Saturday December 12th for Moy and Little Island and then Saturday the 20th yeah. just in time for Christmas Cove and Kinsale yeah. My beloved Cove yeah and, I, and Cork have been very good about adopting Oh very hens. much so yeah. yeah although this time I know I, I do have to stress that we have hundreds of hens because this is a big operation we're taking the, um, the hens out of um, to, to rescue them so you know um, we can never have enough homes I, uh, that uh, seems the way to me anyway um, so please if you do book your hens and be aware as well there is a little adoption fee because obviously you know we we pay the farmer to get them to freedom and then we um, get vans and you know pay for the diesel and whatever to but get it's them only, all around it's only, the six, it's only six euro isn't it also? six euro yeah, that's, that's all that's you know, li- little enough and, you doesn't know, these, it show why we should all be going for free range eggs though when you see the condition yeah. Well, some see, of these hens. I think people will be surprised even like you know when you, you're buying your free range eggs in the supermarket and you think you're doing a great thing um, I've seen we've all 
seen at, at the rescue um, hens coming out in a terrible state out there. It's not exactly what you think. Free oh, range. is it not? Uh, no, oh, okay. it's not. And and also, um, whereas the ones in your back garden, yes, are that, absolutely they free range. Are free range. Yeah. You can look out and see them ranging free, and also know that you know they're loved and cherished and cared for, and you know brilliantly fed and you know and housed and so that's cruelty free and, do you, do you, you know, have some yourself uh, no, I, no. Uh, do you know what I I would love some but I'd, I'd have to get my mother to move in with me and I, obviously she lives in Galway at the moment and um, but she'd have to be here all the time and obviously with, with the pandemic and all you know there's yeah. no travelling and all that so I don't have any at the moment um, but I do dream of having them one day and, one, yeah, one, one, one day, one day. And, and I think you know this is exactly the right time for people who have you know even a bit of a garden and, and a shed to to think about it and just go, I'm doing it and I'll deal with, you know, all the rest of it. I'll get them in. Um, because we've all kind of reset our buttons, haven't we? Have, we? Yeah, we and have, yeah. I mean, we have. You know, and what kind of a year have you had, Pauline? Well, um, it's an unemployed one. I, yeah. I can tell you it's, um, uh, you know, like I, I think that actors are probably better than other people at dealing with being unemployed because we spend most of our lives being unemployed, you know, uh, resting between jobs. But this, obviously, there's been no live entertainment for the year and um, so there's been nothing you know um, so I've enjoyed my garden during the weather and uh, I'll be out weeding it and getting ready for spring now but I grew a few things out there so like everyone else I got back to basics and yeah, um, yeah. and that's why I think it's an ideal time for people to take it up a step now and start to, you know they're growing their own food a lot of people out in their gardens um, you know or as much as they can and now here's another way um, you know, you could you could have your own eggs. And the children, yeah. if you have children in the household, oh, they they love it. Oh, they do, and they learn to go out and pick up a fresh yeah. egg that's yeah, just been laid. Is just there's they something. They learn then, yeah, that food comes from somewhere. You yeah. know, it doesn't come wrapped in plastic in a supermarket. That's not where it was made. Um, so it's marvelous, I think, for kids as well, and they'll they'll learn all about you know living with nature and the other creatures that we must respect on yeah. this earth so I would say there's one thing though like on that if people go on and book their hens and all please don't let them down because we put um, specific numbers into each van to go around on each journey and it's a long journey for them I'm going to Cork now I'd have to tell you um, from where they're being got um, so if they go on people let them down not only are you also probably stopping someone else from adopting them because you your name is on them um, they may have to make a journey all the way back yeah and you don't want to do uh, that you know, okay it's so it's the Little Hill Animal Rescue is the is the Facebook uh, yeah. page as I say this particular uh, this particular Sunday it's Bantry Clonakilty Mallow and Dunmanway yeah. where they'll be doing the drop-offs listen Pauline it's a pleasure yeah. as always have Thank a great you. Christmas all, oh and to you and all love to Cork and with, I think I'm a Cork person at her, oh well so. we, we will adopt you anytime good yeah. I'll hold you to that listen thanks a million Thank God bless Bye bye. That is uh, Pauline uh, McLean, well known actress, and the voice straight away. You have Mrs. Doyle, don't you, in your mind the minute uh, she starts to speak. So, the Little Hill Animal Rescue, if you would like to adopt one of their hens. Mm-hmm. As Audrey says, I think you have to have a permit or something from the council to have hens in the city. I've checked online and I can't see anything. If anybody can clarify uh, that, I'm sure that the charity at uh, the Little Hill Rescue would be well aware if somebody needed permits uh, 
for the city but according to Audrey she reckons that you need some kind of a permit if anybody knows let us know 1850 Gardening questions for Peter please because he joins us in the next hour This is Court Today Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Court's greatest hits C103 now, let's get to your comments coming into the programme today and some of your queries. Somebody wants to know, Patricia, have you any idea what were the COVID cases in Cork yesterday? Well, I knew they were relatively low when they weren't included. You know, when they call out the figures and then they give the top five counties. And I always hold my breath hoping the Cork won't be mentioned and it wasn't mentioned uh, yesterday. So the COVID cases for Cork yesterday was eight. So we've had a number of days where they have been falling, where we haven't been mentioned in the top ones around the county long long may that continue and another text that says uh, Patricia hi is this the week for the Christmas bonus no the Christmas bonus will be paid out across next week so whatever day your payment whatever day you receive your payment uh, some people get it on a Wednesday some Thursday and a lot of people pick up uh, their pension for example on a Friday so next week across next week you'll be picking up your double week for that's the Christmas bonus it isn't a double week it's a, it's a Christmas bonus actually I must get John Paul to check in what are the arrangements for over Christmas because I know we had a couple of calls in last week with people saying your Christmas day is a Friday and I collect my pension on a Friday and then the following Friday is going to be New Year's Day what way are the social welfare going to do it so I'll get John Paul to get on to the Department of Social Protection just to see what will be the arrangements over Christmas they certainly will pay out a double week at some stage but I don't know exactly when they're going to do it will they leave that until Christmas week uh, so that we'll cover the Christmas week and the first week in the in the new year. So we'll see if we can find out what they what they're going to do about that. Okay. Also coming in, still a lot of commentary coming in with regard to Father Tim Hazelwood talking to us about how he himself is going to deal with Christmas. Well, the pastoral council will make the final decision what they're going to do about masses over Christmas, and it is looking like they're leaning towards putting it online so as not to have to refuse anyone. So you know, the fifty inside the church and they have to close the door. They don't want to pe- leave people outside who can't get in. So rather than upset people and turn people away, they've decided that they're not going to hold public masses over Christmas. They'll put them online instead. Some of your commentary in on that, Massey and from Oy says Patricia, surely somebody in the government has some brains keeping the churches closed because they they have no room inside in the church yet they can have room inside in a gastropub and a cafe and a restaurant uh, but still they decide to close the churches in my opinion says Mossy it is all wrong the Covid restriction I feel has been handled very badly says Mossy who feels the churches should be opened to more people a, someone who signs themselves a regular listener says I agree with Father Tim who spoke on your programme earlier he is a true Christian God bless him and all of the priests they have a really tough time and they are trying to do their very best and I think everybody needs to remember that because my fear is that some of our priests will get a little bit of abuse from people if they're not happy with the arrangements that have been made at Christmas so my message to everyone is to please be kind especially to your priests this Christmas Mary said her suggestion would be that each of the individual parishes put all of the numbers that are on the envelopes, you know, the envelopes that they send out to the households who contribute to the running of the parish, they put all those, all the numbers on the envelopes into a hat and have like a raffle, have a draw. So therefore only people that regularly make a contribution to the church would be inside in the draw and they are the only ones then that will get the seats at Mass. I don't know if everyone would agree with you on that, uh, Mary. Uh, it almost, I think some would probably say it's almost like you're entering a raffle to go to Mass. I don't know how priests would feel about it, but it's 
certainly some would say it's a, it's a fair away because it's only people who regularly attend the churches would be the ones who would be entitled to go on uh, Christmas uh, Day. And then Mike says, Patricia, why can't they do like what they do for the stations and the missions in that each townland has a day? Could they, I mean, has a mass? Could they break it up into individual areas? Again, they probably could, but the problem is, as Father Tim has pointed out, some parishes have very few priests. Some are lucky to have more, but the majority of parishes have very few priests. Like a lot of parishes, small parishes, might have one priest, and that's all. And so it would be very difficult for that priest or even a couple of priests to have a lot of masses because if you would go on your theory of doing it the way they do the stations, they'd need to have a lot of masses to accommodate all the people who would want to attend. And Anne says, Patricia, the mass online, I think, is a great idea. I've watched Coulet mass online every Sunday. I think it's safer, particularly for the year that's in it. Why can't people just stay at home and be safe? I think the government should have kept the lockdown until January. We should have stayed in level five. And that's from Anne in Ballantemple. Hope you're keeping well, uh, Anne. And then we did get calls earlier from some people in the parish of Donorel who one lady in particular was very annoyed that you had to book online to go to the Christmas masses. And she was saying, what about older people? By the time they're leaving here, all the seats will be gone. So we decided to check in with the priests in Donorel and they tell us that they are still finalising details in uh, Donorel but but they are saying people they are planning on putting a ticketing system in place because they can't simply open up the doors of the church and allow everybody to turn up for fear of the more than 50 people will come so they are doing an online booking system at the moment but they say it isn't just online you can ring the parish office if you're not able to go online and indicate that you want to go to Mass and then you will be included as well. So that's for anyone in Donrell. If you don't have access online, try ringing them. But they are still, like I take it all of the other parishes seem to be having parish pastoral meetings. The committee meetings seem to be happening this week. So I'm assuming towards the back end of this week or early into next week, we'll be getting more details from individual parishes as to what they are doing. And uh, if any of them want to share that information with us, we'll be only too happy to uh, to get it out to people on air. 1850-333-103. Maura in Formoy says, I feel those who only go to Mass once a year should stay away. They have no idea what goes on for the rest of the year and they don't contribute financially to the church or to the upkeep of the priests. So therefore, they should not be turning up at Mass on Christmas Day. 1850 uh, Thank you for that. Okay, that's just some of the calls coming in. Okay, on other issues, somebody says, congratulations to Carol in Mallow who won €55,000 in the telly bingo yesterday. She bought her ticket in Dano's uh, Super Value. Whoa, there's a great Christmas for Carol in Mallow. €55,000. Congratulations to you, Carol. Now, we've had a couple of people on uh, reacting to my interview with Pauline McGlynn, who was talking about the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary who are coming to Cork over the next couple of weekends and they have have hens. They're looking for people to adopt. It's six euros to adopt a hen and these are hens that have lived all of their little lives today. They're young enough hens. They're eight, 18 months I think is when they get rescued but they've been in these battery cages and uh, they come, they might have, they might be a bit featherless when you get them. Others, so Pauline said, do have feathers but they, they come on 
beautifully when they're at home, when they're in your own garden and they become family pets in many ways. If you, as Pauline said, if you go onto the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary Facebook page, you'll see you'll see some great pictures. Anyway, some people on about that into interview. Nora says. Patricia, you can buy a young hen for nine euros. So I think six euro is a bit pricey for these hens. If they sold them for about three euro, they would get more homes, says uh, Nora. Nora, at the end of the day, they're a charity. And when I asked Pauline about the six euro adoption fee, she was saying that they have to buy them from the, the, the when they go to the battery hen farmer. They, they don't just give them to them. They have to buy them from them. So there's a cost in that. And then there's a cost in, in transporting them. They're up in Kildare. They'll be driving down to Cork this weekend. They're coming again the following Saturday. And they're coming again the following week as well. So there's a cost involved in that. And, and at the end of the day, it is a charity. So I don't think people mind paying the six euro. And remember, you're rescuing a hen when you're buying a young hen that you're talking about for nine uh, euro. That's a young hen that's uh, that's been commercially sold. These are, these are, this is a charity and these are rescued hens. I really, I don't think, now maybe, maybe you're right, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if the six euro adoption fee would put anybody off taking it. Somebody who certainly hasn't been put off getting at the rescue hens is one of our listeners. Is there a name on this? There is and say, hey Trish, I have 12 rescued hens now aged seven. And would you believe they're still laying? They are full of character and kids absolutely adore watching them. They are more than happy to sit on your lap and watch TV or just snooze. They chase my farm cats and snuggle up with my dogs. In the UK, some retirement homes actually have them, not only for the eggs that they produce, but because their clients love them and are more than happy to look after them. Maybe that's something that could be done here in Ireland. What about schools? Could they also get involved, says this texter who's had 12 rescue tents. Uh, good, good on you. And as I say, you are rescuing an, an animal that had a very very bad start in life and actually on the papers today what is it about some people and how they can neglect animals I just can never understand the mindset and there's some very distressing pictures in the papers today it's a story out of County Kilkenny and a man actually has been arrested it was a Garda operation in which 23 dogs and four horses were seized by Gardaí and animal welfare office, officers all found to be in very neglected conditions. The animals were re- rescued during a planned search of a farm in County Kilkenny and at least one animal carcass was found. The man, uh, the arrested man was detained at the scene by Gardaí after allegedly trying to frustrate the search of the property as well as the seizure of the animals, the health and the conditions on the farm where they were found were recorded by investigators as part of the ongoing criminal investigation. The search in the farm was carried out under a warrant obtained on suspicion that the animals were being kept in circumstances which breached the Animal Health and Welfare Act. 23 dogs and four horses were seized and have now gone on to animal charities. They included lurchers, terriers and greyhounds in a full investigation on what has been described as a serious breach of the Animal Welfare Act is now underway and as I say some of the pictures of the conditions of the animals I just I can never understand it I I really can't so I'm glad that we're doing our bit to help out those poor little rescued hens and uh, here's hoping that some uh, of the people listening to us uh, today may consider may just consider adopting one of Pauline's hens the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary you need to go onto their website uh, please because you need to tell them 
so that you can book your hen for when they are coming at the weekend on Sunday. Bantry, Clannacilty, Mallow and Dunmanway. So they're, they're going right around uh, the county. Hi Patricia, happy Christmas to all at C103 and many happy returns. Could you please call out that the Care for the Aged charity shop is open for business after being closed for six weeks. We want to thank all of our customers and all who donated to our shop by supporting us. We can donate to needy organisations this month at the Care for the Aged charity shop. The beneficiaries will be the guide dogs and the Bantry Tidy Towns. Thank you for your support. That's from Eileen. I'm only too glad to mention it, Eileen, and only and I'm glad you sent it in because it gives me the opportunity to remind people that while all retail opened yesterday, all the non-essential retail, so did all of the charity shops and I was even just on Facebook last night seeing Aurora they have a fantastic huge charity shop in Mallow and they had pictures up of the items they have on sale all ready to go lots of Christmas stock and I also saw photographs from the Vincent's the St Vincent de Paul charity shop in Mallow they have wonderful items on sale uh, as well so when and uh, you know I'm constantly banging on about shopping locally and how important it is to shop locally if you can pop into one of your local charity shops as well because the local charity shops, the money stays locally as well. So it's it's a win-win. It's a win-win for everyone. So good luck to everybody and happy Christmas to all the wonderful volunteers who work at all of those charity shops. Those charity shops would not be able to stay going if it wasn't for all of the countless volunteers. So good luck to all of them uh, as well. And I've been contacted by the organisers of the Christmas Candlelight Concert. Now this is the one that normally takes place in St James's Church in Mallow and it gets packed out every single year and there's people scrambling to get tickets so much so that last year they decided to put it on over two nights and there were still people uh, looking for tickets. Obviously this year they can't bring everybody in to the wonderful venue that is St James's Church for the concert but they have decided that they're still going to go ahead with the concert this year but they're going to put it online so it's going to be up on Facebook at the Mallow Union of Parishes Facebook page and that's where you can view this year's concert which is going to be held on Friday week the 11th of December at 8 o'clock. So the Mallow Union of Par- Parishes check out their Facebook page and tune in 8 o'clock on Friday the 11th of December because the Christmas Candlelit Concert is one of those beautiful concerts where they sing you know all the beautiful traditional hymns and it just will get you into the Christmas spirit and some years you have people saying oh I just can't feel the Christmas spirit this year and this year has it's been tricky for so many people and maybe there are many people not feeling the Christmas spirit but I always think carols there's something about carols I think it brings it brings us back to our childhood and it brings us back to that wonderful feeling that we all had as children when it comes to Christmas and that's the kind of Christmas spirit we're all trying to tap into so Friday the 11th at 8 o'clock on the Mallow Union of Parishes Facebook page for the Christmas Candlelit Concert The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Celebrate a real Cork Christmas Find out more at corkcoco.ie Castle Magna Community Development Association will have their book When I Was Knee High. It's going to be published in time for Christmas. If you would like to reserve a copy, you can ring Mary O'Sullivan on 086 071 The price of the book is €10 Euro and it will be on sale from December 8th at two weeks Super Value, Scally's Stationery Shop, Murphy's Gala and Phillips Bookshop. And Kildallery Community Development, they've got their next lotto draw tomorrow 4 o'clock in 
the afternoon in the local community office with a jackpot this week of €1,400. And you can win a new Volkswagen Golf by supporting the Kiss Game GAA fundraising raffle. Tickets can be bought through their website, which is kissgamegaadraw.ie. C103. Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will be joining us in a couple of minutes. If you've got a question for Peter, get it into us, please. 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Bernice in Mallow has contacted... Bernice in Mitchellstown. Apologies, Bernice has contacted the programme. She said, there is light at the end of the tunnel with a vaccine. Can we not just all have a little bit of patience? I'm not hearing this word patience being used uh, enough. If we could save lives for the next two months, what a credit we would be to the world. Bernice said, I go to Mass every Sunday and I do contribute every week I think people are being very silly about the situation and some people are being very selfish when it comes to their attitude about going to Mass on Christmas Day Hi Patricia says this texter I can't understand what's the big obsession with Christmas Mass it's far from Holy Ireland we're we now living in where people please just leave Mass to the older people they are the ones who go week in week out some of them even go every day and the suggestion that there would be a draw done. Remember a listener was saying that the people who give in the weekly envelopes to the church that there's a number on all of those linked to a house that they would be used for some kind of a draw and you'd get like a raffle almost and then if you were lucky enough that your number came out you'd get a seat at Mass. Sorry now says this texter. A draw for a seat at Mass? I go to Mass uh, every week. Well obviously not since the virus but every week when it was open I was there. I would always give my few euro to the collection but sometimes I don't have the money and I can't can't uh, afford it. Does that mean because I didn't have money to hand in every single week that I don't get a seat? Says this uh, texter wouldn't be happy about a draw at all. And I don't think any of the priests would agree to that either. Uh, Eileen says, Trisha, the charity shops open in McCroom and Bantry. Well, the one in Bantry definitely is because I just mentioned it, didn't I? Isn't that, the, isn't that Bantry, the one care of the age? So the one in Bantry, that one is definitely uh, open. I'm assuming that they all opened up yesterday. The one, if anybody is involved with the charity shop, I don't know how many charity shops there are in McCroom. I take it that they were all ready for the off yesterday because many of them continued to take donations while we were in lockdown so that they could be all up and ready to open their doors as soon as they got the nod that we moved out of level five. So I'm, yeah, I take it Eileen, the McCroom ones are open as well. 1850 333 103. Uh, Micah says, Patricia, is there a your programme today? There is. I'm going to be speaking with Peter Dowdell in just a moment. So if you have a question for Peter, uh, you can uh, get it in. But a quick mention and thank you to Connor who emailed Patricia at c103.ie to say, Patricia, would you inform your listeners, please, about a new credit card scam? that's on the go at the moment. People are receiving messages from UPS, you know, UPS, the courier company, to say that their parcel has been stopped at the depot due to unpaid duty on the item. The person is then directed to a link where personal details are sought, allowing the credit card details to pay the duty on the item. Please do not click on this link. The message is not from UPS. It is a scam. Most of the country are waiting for a parcel delivery at the moment and may get fooled into thinking oh that's what I'm waiting on what I ordered last week and may click on the link so please be very very careful Okay we're going to take a break and Peter Dowdell joins us after these you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed 
Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Resident Gardener, the Irish joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and we have a lot of questions, so I want to get straight into them, uh, including one first one in from Anne in West Cork says, Hi, uh, P- Peter, please help. Uh, what is the best way to remove vine weevil from the main bed in the polytunnel? I've dug and turned the soil, and a helpful robin has gobbled them up. But how can I be sure that they're all gone? I don't like chemicals, but should I spray with something? Thanking you in advance. Okay, well, thank, thank, thanks to Mr. Robin in the first instance. Isn't nature wonderful? Because nature will take care of itself if we can um, maintain what we call the natural balance in the garden, Trish, which is by not using chemicals and by ensuring a wide diversity of species in the garden, both flora and fauna, we, we then we then prevent an unnatural build-up of any one species, such as your vine weevil. So, so using the birds, digging the soil and using birds to do it is the best thing to do. You can't be sure, of course, that all are gone, that the Mr. Robin has taken all of them. Now, the chemicals that are out there to, to control vine weevil are very damaging, and I would recommend nobody use them because they do contain the, the neonicotinoids, which are a family of chemicals, which have been some of which have been banned across the EU. Now, I don't know enough scientifically to know how, exactly how safe they are, but they're, they're, they're a group of chemicals that have been associated with the declining bee population. So I would be very, very slow to recommend using them at all. Um, what you can get is you can get nematodes. Now, nematodes is a type of biological control where you're you're introducing a parasitic uh, nematode, which, which feeds off the grub of the vine weevil. Uh, now, when the vine weevil dies off, that nematode also dies off because it, it's so specific. Super Nemos is one that I have been using from, for several years and found it very, very good. It's an Irish product. But I found last year, I think it became unavailable, so I'm not sure. But a quick Google search for a nematode to control vine weevil will give you some. But the only thing is, uh, all of these nematodes will only work when the soil temperature is right. So we're too late for this year. So you really w- could only use it kind of from the middle of March to September, but very, very effective and har- harmless. Okay, Dennis, who's a Corkman, listening to us in Oxford, says, could you ask Peter, please, is now the time to prune a pear tree? And if so, how best to prune it? I would say yes. Now is a good time to prune it. Most fruit trees, I would prune them over the winter. Um, With a pear tree, you really want to just, it's, it's kind of good housekeeping, really. You want to prevent branches. Well, I'm presuming that we're not looking at specialist pruning and that we're not training it up against the wall and espaliering or anything like that. So kind of more general pruning is where you'd have it as a freestanding pear tree. You want to prevent crossing branches. You want to at all times ensure good air circulation through the plant because that helps to prevent um, the development of fungal infections and things like that. Or, or I suppose more correctly, the opposite is true, that if you have lots of crossing branches and a congested centre, that's ideal conditions for the development of fungal problems. Uh, so you want to prevent that from happening. Uh, prune to an outward-facing bud so that the, the next year's growth would be facing growing outwards, obviously, as opposed to inwards. Um, without seeing it and without showing it, it's quite, kind of difficult to, to be more specific than that. You, 
any diseased material you would prune it off in terms of the height and width it's kind of up to yourself you you, you know you can prune them back quite hard if you prune them too hard you may well sacrifice next year's blooms and thus next year's fruit but that will come back the following year I, i'd rarely go harder than kind of 30 percent I want to be sure of having fruit next year. You could reduce it, the overall dimensions by about a third. Uh, and as I say, just try and prevent any crossing branches growing through the centre uh, and remove any any infected or diseased growth this year as well. OK, good luck with that, uh, Dennis. Mary's worried about her geraniums. She has geraniums out in pots. Very cold spell forecast kicking <coughs> in from this evening and over the next few days. Should she be bringing them in? Mary is absolutely right to be worried about her geraniums. Bring them in straight away, Mary, I, and I'll be bringing mine in. Anything, anything that's frost tender now. I mean, over the been, this has been well forecasted. The cold spell is coming this, at the end of this week. Um, so yeah, anything that's frost tender, either get yourself some horticulture of fleets and drape it on top and protect protect the frost tender ones beneath, or else if they're in pots like Mary's geraniums, yeah, bring them in for the next few days and probably really now for the whole winter. Um, hi, this is from Mia. Is it too late this year to dig up daffodil bulbs that didn't flower last year, even though there was plenty of leaves that say they're all very congested as they've been there for a number of years? Is it too late to do it? Uh, I'm going to say no. The textbook answer would be yes, you should have done that earlier in the year. But I think if you leave them there, you're just going to have the same situation next next week where they are blind, they're too congested, so they're not going to flower well next year. You've kind of got nothing to lose. You're certainly not going to destroy the bulbs or anything by doing it too late. So I would do it now. Better do it a bit late than not do it at all. Um, for the first week in December, it's not really that late, being honest with you. I mean, I, I, I haven't got all my daffodils planted yet. So you're lifting them out of the ground. They're still dormant. You're going to split them. No, it should be fine. But ideally, it would have been done maybe up to a month ago. Sarah wants to know, hi Peter, when is the best time to cut back overgrown hedges? I want to bring them down to fence level, which is about six feet high. I also have very tall, mature trees. When is the time to be thinking of cutting any of them back? Okay, but it's obviously, or unfortunately, if you like, not not quite a, a one-line answer for just mature trees or mature hedges. It does depend on the species of hedge and tree as to what's the correct time. On saying that, with a lot of deciduous trees, I, I, I kind of am a bit hesitant to give an answer on mature trees without seeing them or without knowing what we're talking about. So it might be an idea if they're mature to get a tree surgeon and have a look at them to give you specific advice. Um, but general advice, deciduous trees, you could prune them really any time between now and kind of end of February, early March. Uh, so you're in the right window for most of them, if not all of them. Um, mature hedges, you can cut again, depending on the species. It's not going to be 100% true for all species, but most of them can be cut back any time between kind of October, uh, again, end of February, early March. If you want to cut them back hard, so in other words, you want to bring them to fence height, and if they're a good bit over fence height now, I wouldn't cut them back severely at the moment, particularly as we're coming into a cold spell, probably several cold spells over, over the next few months. I would wait till we're coming out of the winter and into early spring when the new growth is beginning to start. So I would leave that uh, dramatic cutting back to kind of end of February or right through to early mid-March. Bob wants to know, can you give any suggestion of a machine to aerate the lawn that wouldn't be too expensive? There are aerators out there. There's several different types of aerating machines and different ways of aerating. You have um, what's called slit aeration, which is where they literally cut slits in the, the surface of the soil. And then you have the more the more common, either solid or hollow tine aerators, where the, the, the solid tine, it just is like sticking a garden fork into the ground and making holes. Um, 
hollow tying is where it's, it's quite similar, except it's taking out those plugs of soil, uh, leaving gaps in the soil, which is probably the best way, in my opinion, of aerating is the hollow tying aeration because you're creating little pockets for air and organic matter. You can brush some sand into those as well. Um, there are machines to do it. I, I would think some maybe spe- the, the, the more specialist hire shops, you might be able to hire one. Uh, I don't have any any advice, I'm afraid, as to a make or, or a price or anything like that. But what I would look for, I would say the best of them is the hollow tine aerator and maybe look for one to hire. Rose said, uh, I read somewhere where it says to prune your roses in November. Is that correct? Or when is the best time to move roses? Well, well, let's say it's not incorrect. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you can prune your roses in November, but but I'm leaving mine. In fact, I put up a picture the other day on Facebook on the Irish Gardener page of a, a little baby masquerade rose I have in my own garden. It's a real little sweetheart. It's only small, but it's lovely. And it's still flowering away, God bless it. And it's got a lovely uh, tracheliospermum growing on the fence behind it, which is giving a lovely mahogany red colour, red-brown colour at the moment. And the rose in front of it, it just looks gorgeous. Uh, so I certainly wouldn't dream of cutting him back at the moment and we're into December. So the answer to the question, yes, you can cut them back, but you, your window of opportunity, again, is up to the end of February. So I'm leaving mine. I trim them for tidiness here and there, but I, I really don't give them their proper pruning, if you like, until kind of the second half of February. So you've plenty of time. But then the second part of that question is, she said, is when it's the right time to move them, did they are prune them? Move, move them. Yeah, well, move them, certainly. You, you're a bit early to move them. I would wait till January, till it's really, really cold, properly cold. Lift them out of the ground then, cut them back very, very hard at the same time and replant them immediately. OK, this is looking for general advice on setting a gristolinia hedge. Right time and any advice about setting one? Well, the correct time for kind of planting everything it works that bang in the middle of it. It's planting season is really October to March because it, it means that you get the, the plants get into the ground before growth starts actively. So they have a chance to establish in the ground before before they start growing. Nowadays, of course, everything is grown in pots. So it's not as big a deal. You can plant 12 months of the year, but still the best time is to get them in before next spring. Uh, with Christinias and with most hedges, hedging is probably the only thing nowadays that's, that's still commonly grown, what we call bare root, which means it's not grown in a pot and you, you buy them in bundles of 20 or 30. Um, bare root plants can only be planted between now and the end of February. So you're at the right time for planting your hedge. Um, the only thing is with the cold spell coming over the next few days, I might wait till that has passed before I plant it. Uh, but then I wouldn't be too worried about frosts that we're going to get then after that. Um, so plant away. Um Make sure you use it. You don't, you don't need that much compost when you're planting. Just the most important thing is that when you are planting it, particularly if it's bare root, make sure you're really firming them into the ground. Don't forget to really stand in the soil around them so that to give them stability. Don't forget, if they, if they don't get good contact, if the root system doesn't get good contact with the soil now, they'll be forever loose, which is not what you want. So really stand them into the ground. And then after that, uh, give, give them a feed in the spring with the Nature Safe, the Nature Safe uh, Atlantic seaweed liquid feed is the one that I would use. It's a really good one to get growth started in the spring. And then it's uh, next year, it'll be water, water, water. It's not forever that you need to pay attention to watering, but very much in the first year of a new hedge, you would need to be, be paying attention to watering it. Don't let it dry out. Um, could you ask Peter, please, a 12-foot fully mature tree don't know now the person doesn't know what kind of a tree except it has a plum coloured leaf it was replanted from one garden to another it bloomed the first year after we moved it but it hasn't bloomed there isn't a leaf or a bud in almost a year is it now dead 
Well, if there isn't a leaf or a bud, then I would say most likely yes. And it kind of ties in with what I was saying about the hedge. In other words, if you moved it from one garden to another and it did uh, it did bloom and it did leaf up, it, it, it still needed, like that growth was in it, if you like, already. So it still needed to be watered for that first 12 months after the move to make sure that the roots, like the roots couldn't get their own water at all for 12, for 12 months until they get into that soil. You have to pay attention to watering it for the first 12 months and more if it was that mature. Unfortunately, if it dried out during that period and hasn't leafed up in a year, well, then I'd say, no, it's gone, I'm afraid. And Mike in Bantry. Hi, Peter. Do you have to cover a tree fern down by the sea in West Cork? I... The reason I'm hesitating is because the first part of that question, yes, I would say, yes, you do have to cover a tree fern over the way. You have to protect the centre of the, the plant. Uh, but then the second part, down by the sea in Bantry in West Cork, it, you know, the, it's hard to know. Like, it, just a kind of a, a light enough frost would be fine because you're down by the coast in West Cork. It should be fine. But if it gets very, very cold, like it has done over the last few years, it, it would need to be protected. I think I'd err on the side of caution on this one, and I think I would say yes. So the centre, the top of the trunk, which is base of the fronds, if you like, uh, is the bit that you need to protect. That's the heart of the plant. So put up all of this year's fronds so that they're facing the sky and then tie tie some twine around it to keep them. You've been stuffed the centre then with a bit of straw or even newspaper just to keep the frost off that central part of the plant. And then wrap the whole lot uh, from the outside in some hessian or horticultural fleece and tie it to it. It'll look a bit funny, but it will protect the plant. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Have a good week, Peter. And you. Thanks, Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowd on the IrishGardener.com. So that's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. Wrap up warm because a very cold night ahead. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.